what do you think about the sermon each week? And I, and I, I don't kind of mean like, do you like it? <laughs> um, I mean, what do you think about the place of the sermon in church? Um, so, you know, if you were to list out everything that um, church is, what makes church, church, where would the, the sermon sit in importance? Um, so there's singing that we've just done plenty of, there's um, talking together, there's praying, there's taking communion, there's getting coffee, um, there's uh, Bible reading, and then there's the sermon. And so I wonder how important you think the sermon is. Um, and I, the reason I say this is because um, I, I grew up with just this wonderful image of what the sermon is. I'm going to tell you. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I was 16 years old. Um, the senior pastor at our church, he was a PhD in Old Testament theology. Uh, he'd written a bunch of um, Bible commentaries. His 1 and 2 Samuel, amazing. We're going to do 1 Samuel. Not, not, not yet, but I think probably next year or the year after. Um, anyway, this guy went from being the senior pastor of the church. He became the principal of the Bible college that I went to. And um, he grew up, I, I grew up with this Bible teacher who really brought the scriptures alive. Um, I love that. He loved Jesus, he loved God's word, and he described the sermon as a feast. Um, he said we, we would sit down at the table with God's word, and we'd open up this feast that God sets out before us. And we eat and drink of the story of God's love, and, um, and, and we're filled up each week, ready to go out and share that love with others. Wonderful image of what we're doing every time we open the Bible. Whether you open it with me, or whether you do it yourself, this feast from God, something that fills you and feeds you and nourishes you. Is that how you think of God's word? Um, because today we're going to hear Jesus teach that man, or people, we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So why don't we pray that God would feed us now as we uh, open the scriptures. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us, for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in all righteousness through it. I would pray that you would speak to our hearts today and equip us for every good work as your servants in this world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so we're in the middle of our sermon series, as I said, Encounters with Jesus. Um, it's all about people who met Jesus, had an encounter with Jesus, and were changed by it. Um, and today's encounter is a little bit different. Um, it's an encounter between Jesus and the devil, um, an encounter where the devil tempts Jesus, he tests Jesus. And it's an encounter that re reveals an important truth about character, uh, reveals something about Jesus' character. And uh, we're going to think about when we're faced by temptation and what that reveals about our character. So uh, why don't we get into it? Um, it's important to know where you're up to in the Bible when you open up, because I've been jumping around this series. We've just been picking stories. Um, they've been great. Um, but this story is right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Um, or actually right before it. Um, so Jesus, he's been baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin John the Baptist, and um, God's spirit descends on him, and he says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And uh, this is the moment of confirmation for Jesus. Can you imagine growing up for 30 years? He knows he's God's son. But you also kind of wonder, how did he know? <laughs> and I think he knew because God spoke, but all of a sudden he has this moment this very personal, very public voice moment, the Spirit descends on him. It's con confirmed that, that Jesus is the Son of God, and we expect this to be the launch of his public career, um, but that's not what happens. Have a look at verse 1. 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Before Jesus goes public, he'll undergo this 40 days of testing, 40 days of fasting, 40 days alone in the wilderness with the devil sitting on his shoulder, speaking all kinds of words into his ears. Could you imagine? Um, Did you notice, though, it's not the devil who's in charge. Uh, Look at verse 1 again. Who led him into the desert? Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. There's a little reminder here. Whatever happens in the wilderness, it's in God's presence. It's with God's permission. And it's under the guidance of God's Spirit. And it's an interesting point for our lives because when we face temptations of many kinds, we might think we're alone in the wilderness, but we're never alone. God is with us. And that's how Matthew's gospel finishes. We're reading Matthew today. Matthew finishes with Jesus promising, surely I'll be with you forever till the end of the age. I'll be with you always. Anyway, Jesus, he's led into the wilderness where for 40 days and 40 nights he'll be tempted or tested by the devil. And this is God's purpose for the 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Whenever we see the number 40 in the Bible, uh, we're reminded of judgment. In Genesis chapter 6, the flood, where God causes rain to fall on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And he wipes out everybody except for Noah and his family because of sinfulness, the sinfulness of people on earth. And then we think of Exodus, where God's people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. In the time of Moses, they were under God's judgment because they didn't trust that God would bring them into the promised land. They thought that they wouldn't be safe. They worried about the people who were there. And so this 40 days and 40 nights for Jesus, it reminds, him, uh, reminds us of those judgment stories. But, but here, Jesus has a chance to do over. Um, he has a chance to do over the mistakes of the people in the past. Um, that is, Jesus has a chance to face temptations that are common to God's people. And he has a chance to live up to the standard that um, God has set for all of humanity. This story is a do-over. It's a, it's a do-over, a chance for Jesus to undo the mistakes of God's people. That's part of the story of him bringing a second chance for all of us. So Jesus, he spends 40 days and 40 nights without eating. Uh, says in verse 2 uh, that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Um, not surprising. <laughs> um, back in Australia when I was a kid, there was something called the 40-hour famine. I don't know if they have that here. A World Vision, it's, it's a, an aid agency. I think it's mainly Australia New Zealand. Uh, they raise money and they raise awareness for um, world poverty and hunger. And so that every year they had the 40-hour famine. Um, you choose not to eat for 40 hours in order to kind of have solidarity and also to raise money. And uh, you, you, don't, you eat, I think, until Friday night. After dinner on Friday night, you don't eat until like Sunday morning. Um, you can do the math. I'm terrible at math. Um, It's a long time to go hungry, 40 hours. Um, Jesus, he goes 40 days without food. And um, uh, he was hungry in our family. Um, You know, when somebody's a little bit bit cranky, um, we're like, maybe just eat something. Is that the same? (laughs) Why don't you just eat something? You know, they're hungry and angry, they're hangry. And um, (laughs) when we are hangry, hungry, angry, we find it difficult to control our temper. It's much more difficult when you're, when you're hungry. And um, isn't it interesting, this is exactly the moment when the devil turns up to tempt Jesus, just when he's at his weakest. 
Um, and by the way, this, this word tempting, it's the same word in the original language that later we used when um, the religious teachers come to test Jesus, when they try to entrap him, and they try to trap him into um, sinning, um, just like God's people had done in the past. And so this is not just a temptation, but a kind of testing. Um, I don't know how you feel about testing. We may not like testing, but testing reveals character. Um, sometimes it helps us develop our character too, but when we're tested, it reveals our character. It shows what we value deep down. And so what does this testing reveal about Jesus' character? Well, look at verse 3 with me. Um, the tempter comes. That's another word for the devil, the one who tempts us. He comes and he says to Jesus, verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If. If you are the Son of God. Um, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is portrayed as the Son of God right from chapter 1. Um, and that's what God says about Jesus at his baptism. This is my Son whom I love. But now the devil asks him, are you really the Son of God? He wants to instill doubt in Jesus. Um, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you remember he said to them, did God really say you must not eat from that tree? He says, if you are the Son of God, why don't you prove it? Um, Jesus hungry and the devil says, you could end your hunger right now. You could tell these stones, and he's in the desert, there's all these little stones. You could tell these stones to become bread. And then you'll know that you really are the Son of God. But if you don't, well, what's to say that it's not just all in your imagination? Prove it for yourself. Well, Jesus, he could have turned these stones into bread, just like God provided manna in the desert to the Israelites during their 40 years. He could have fed himself, and in 10 chapters from now, Jesus will feed 5,000 people in the wilderness. He will cause fish and bread to multiply. And that's exactly what the devil tempts him to do right here, but, but that's not the reason behind this period of testing in the wilderness. So verse 4, Jesus tells us what his focus is, while he's in the, in the wilderness, Jesus answers the tempter. He says, in verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is in the wilderness. And he's learning to trust God's word. He's learning to trust every promise that comes from the mouth of God. His stomach may be empty, but he knows that his daily bread comes from God. I've said this before, but sometimes when our refrigerators are full, we forget that we need God at all. There's something about having everything we need that makes us feel like we don't need God. There's something about hunger that sharpens our focus. There's something about waiting that teaches us to rely on God to provide. And I think that's what Jesus was doing. He was learning to wait on God's provision. He was learning to trust in God's provision, even when that waiting left his stomach aching to be filled. And there are many aches in this life. There are many pains that cause us to cry out to God, how long do we have to wait? How long is it going to be? Not, not just hunger, but sickness and, and loss and grief and depression and loneliness. There'll be some of us here who are deep in those seasons right now. In those moments, how do we respond? How do we respond in the wilderness when we're waiting? Well, Jesus responds like this, verse 4. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the season of hunger, Jesus reaches into the storehouse 
not of bread, but the storehouse of scriptures that he's hidden away in his heart. And he reminds himself of what God told the Israelites in the desert. God had led them for 40 years in the desert to humble them and to teach them to trust every word that God speaks of the God who spoke creation into being just with a word. This is the God who promised to bring them into the promised land. This is the God who promises to bring us into the heavenly promised land. We can trust every word that comes from God's mouth. We can trust every promise that comes from God's mouth. And in the moment of temptation, in the moments of doubt, you know, when we're tempted to doubt God's goodness, we're tempted to doubt God's provision, when we're tempted to say, God, can you really do it? Jesus teaches us to go back to God's word, to remind ourselves of everything that he's promised. See, God doesn't promise Christians a life of ease. He actually doesn't promise us that. He doesn't promise this life of limitless blessing and and perfect health. Um, We all know that from our experience. If he did promise that, then God's a liar and you're all living proof. But just like Jesus, um, we're reminded in the scriptures that this life can often lead us into the wilderness. Um, It can lead us into periods of hunger and periods of waiting. And that's waiting before God uh, unveils the glory that will be revealed in us, as it says in Romans chapter 8. We're kind of like a seed waiting to blossom. And so how how do we remind ourselves of God's good promises. The answer is to store up. It's to store up God's words in our hearts, just like Jesus did. Um, The psalmist in Psalm 19, he teaches us, um, and we read it at the beginning of church today, the psalmist in Psalm 119, I think I put it on your sheets even, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Um, He hides God's word in there. He stores it up and it causes him not to sin. It helps him remember So the question is, what are you doing to hide God's word in your heart? What are you doing day by day to meditate on God's word, to to hear God's word, to find comfort in God's word? Um, There's a verse in Psalm 119, verse 35. The psalmist says he finds his delight in God's word, in God's commands. Um, If I had to picture an amazing day off, I think uh, I'd get a really good coffee. It's a bit of a theme with me, isn't it? I love coffee. A good coffee. Good coffee and uh, brioche, um, bouchon. They've, they've, they've recently made the sugar brioche available for the public. Um, Laura, thank you if you had anything to do with that. I'd get, the, I'd get the coffee and the sugar brioche and probably sit beside the swimming pool or if it was a cold day, I'd go to a nice cafe. Um, the psalmist, he pictures the same day off, but instead of a great book, he would take the Bible with him. He wouldn't just read a book. He'd take the Bible. Um, what delights you? You know, what delights you? Is it, is it something that helps you draw near to God? Um, or is it something that distracts you from his promises? Um, because a couple of verses later in verse 37, the, um, the psalmist acknowledges that there are lots of worthless things we can fix our eyes on. I think the psalm is all about asking God to help us find delight in the right things, um, to find delight in his word, to find delight in God, not, not in other things. Um, so what are you doing to find your delight in God's word? and to store it up in your heart. Um, if you want some suggestions, you can come and ask me afterwards what I do. Um, if you came to church with somebody today, you can ask them. Um, what do you do to get God in your life every day? Come into church. This is a brilliant way to start. But you might like a little bit more of God during the week. And there's plenty of ways. You could start by reading Psalm 119. 
Um, it's the longest chapter of the Bible. Try not to read it all in a day. Actually, you probably could. What happens is when you do this, one day in the Bible can turn into two days and two days can turn into a week and a week can turn into a month and months turn into years. And all of a sudden you find yourself hiding God's word in your heart day by day. And on the day when things are difficult, it starts to come out. You feel fed by this. You're not hungry. You have answers. You're not just teaching yourself. It's God teaching you by his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit speaks to us through his words. Um, I've written Hebrews chapter 4, um, verse 12 on your pages there because the, the word of God, it's alive and it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing um, soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God's word kind of gets in under our skin and he does his work on us. Well, that's the first big idea storing up God's word in your heart for the time of testing. Second and third ideas, much shorter, just so you'll know. Um, <laughs> so the first temptation began, if you are the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. The second temptation starts in the same way. Verse five, the devil took Jesus to the holy city, took him to Jerusalem, and he has him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, verse six, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus says that he lives on every word that comes out of God's mouth and so the devil takes the scriptures, he takes words that came out of God's mouth and he uses them. He says, well, if God says it, why don't you do it? Um, he kind of twists God's word though and that's partly why we need to know God's word so well um, and to hide it in our hearts so that when temptation comes, we're not tempted to twist it. But the devil says to Jesus, he says, if you trust God's word, then jump off the temple because God's word says the angels will catch you. The angels will rescue you if you are the son of God, of course. Prove it. First temptation was about provision and the second temptation is about protection. And the devil dares Jesus to take a leap of faith. Prove to himself that God will rescue him. Prove that you are the son of God. Um, call in all of the privileges of your position. You can do whatever you want if you're the son of God, right? You don't need to set a foot down for the rest of your life, the devil says to Jesus. You don't need to get tired or hungry. You don't need to fight your battles. Call in a legion of angels. They will do it all for you. But that's not the path that Jesus took in life. He, he didn't live the life of a pampered king. Um, in fact, he wasn't spared any of the humanity that we all share. Jesus experienced hunger and he experienced tiredness. He experienced grief and loss. And he experienced the temptation to take the easy way out. But Jesus never took the easy way out. You know, he did, he did what he needed to do to undo the curse of sin, not to lead us into it. He undoes our failures. Jesus never took the easy way out and he doesn't do it here in the desert. And he doesn't do it when he's on the cross. Even when one of the thieves crucified beside him says, if you're the son of God, then save yourself. Come on down from the cross. We're going to hear about that story next week. See, Jesus understood that being the Christ meant following the path of the suffering servant. A, 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 a prophecy from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. He follows the path of the suffering servant before he's revealed as the glorious king over all. I mean, he would pierced for our transgressions and led like a lamb to the slaughter. 
And only after that would he be given all authority and, and glory and sovereign power. There's, a, there's an amazing prophecy in the book of Daniel that says just that. And uh, on that day, people of every nation would bow down before him and, and worship him. And he would become the king of sovereign king over all. And, and then in Philippians 2, the same picture happens. And every knee bows and he's exalted to the highest place. Suffering and then glory. And that's why the third temptation is so underwhelming for Jesus. I love that word, underwhelming. He's like, um, and I love the way that Joe read it, by the way. Um, the devil offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth. And what does Jesus say? I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus, verse 10, just says, away from me, Satan. Away from me. Jesus knows who he worships. He worships God alone. He serves him alone. Um, now, none of us are the Messiah. But you know what? We can all be tempted by power. Um, or we can be tempted to demand God's protection. Um, I've known people who walked away from God because they thought that God should have cured their cancer. Um, or kept their life from difficulty. I've known plenty of people who've walked away from God because of the lure of power. You know, the lure of the world and all its splendor money and sex and power and prestige and privilege. They wanted it all right now. And they walked away from Jesus because of it. You know, there are some preachers who will offer that to you now. They'll promise victory and success and freedom from the struggles of this life and health and blessing and wealth. Do you know what? If you hear that, ask yourself, is that the pathway that Jesus promises in this passage? Does he promise it anywhere else in the New Testament? Just don't see it. Yes, Jesus offers us life to the full, but he also taught us that no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted Jesus, then they'll persecute you also. God doesn't promise us a life free of suffering, but, but he does promise to provide according to his plan. And, and he will protect according to his plan. And he will bring us into the kingdom that is greater than any this world has ever known. And there we will know life to the full, life without suffering, the suffering that we know in this lifetime. We'll, we'll have a life that's eternal, a life without pain or, or death or tears. All of the hunger and all of the waiting, it'll be gone. That's what God promises. It's all in his word. Do you trust it? And do you trust him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this encounter with Jesus. Father, help us to encounter your word, your son, the word. Help us to encounter truth and to, uh, to know that we are protected, that you provide, and you promise us this amazing future. Father, help us to trust you in all these things, especially those who are in a season of suffering or a season of waiting right now. Father, strengthen them by your Holy Spirit, and may you store up your promises in all of our hearts, for when things are difficult, we long for the day when you return. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.